This should just be the intro. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't check levels or. All right. So welcome to um, what is this? I love this. You should. Too. I love this. You should too. Could you say it how Jimmy Stewart would say no. it? No. I think that's probably a very bad impression. I'm not good at impressions. It's not a thing I do. <laughs> you just did one. Yeah. Well, it's not a thing I do well. I should say. <laughs> oh, okay. I do them frequently. Are you gonna put down your phone and join me? Yes, I am. When? <laughs> right now. She's still texting. <laughs> I'll I'll just intro it. Yeah, I thought so, that's what you were gonna do. <laughs> I was making a note. Welcome <laughs> to I love this. You should too. This is a podcast where myself, India Randawa, and my co-host. <laughs> why are you so angry? She's I'm very not. angry at me right now. My co-host Samantha. Super angry. He's. I was being really focused. <laughs> oh, okay. Because you were worried that I wasn't focused enough to podcast. Well, just because you were texting. Yeah. So this is a podcast where we talk about <laughs> movies and stuff. What we do is we take turns bringing something that the other person hasn't seen. We show it to them and we tell them why they should love it. So this week we watched It's a Wonderful Life. And it is a wonderful life. It's all right. The Frank Capra classic from 1946, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Lionel Barrymore, and that's all I know, actually. That other guy. Yeah. I know um, Alfalfa from The Little Rascals is in it. Oh, is he? Is he the kid? When uh, George Bailey steals the girl at the dance. And then the, there's that kid that is all grumpy, goes, hey, now. Oh, I and thought then he looked kind of familiar. opens the, um, presses the button to open the pool. Mm-hmm. It's alfalfa. Hmm. Yeah. Wasn't that a color movie? Wasn't what a color movie? Little Rascals. Oh, you might be thinking of like the 1990 Little Rascals. Oh, well, I didn't realize it was a remake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Little Rascals. Yeah, Little, Ras- Little Rascals is very old. <laughs> so you thought... Uh, this teenager from 1946 yes. was a child in the 90s? <laughs> yeah. I, maybe it was like Benjamin Button. Oh, yeah. Yes. He, that actor who had Benjamin Button disease, <laughs> but it never came up. And Well, this has been a real scattered start. <laughs> All right. Before we start breaking down It's a Wonderful Life, do you want to mention which beer you were drinking? Uh, yes, I am drinking a peanut butter milk stout from Belching Beaver Brewery in California, Oceanside, California. It's um a beer that my uncle Kevin actually brought as a gift to us, and uh, I like it quite a bit. It's nice. It has like it gets that peanut butter pretty up front yes. right at the beginning. There's a tiniest bit of a bitter finish, but not not in a bad way or it's anything. Like a... It's just not a not a real sweet stout. All right, Samantha. So the first question, the titular question, if you will, it's a wonderful life. Did you love it? I liked it. I thought it was very cute, but it wasn't like it didn't grab me in the way that like some movies do. I think. 
I, I like appreciate it and I thought it was very nice, but I don't think I can say that I love it. All right. <laughs> Indy, did it hold up for you? Yes. Yes, it did. I don't even know if held up is the right word because I've seen the movie before. I don't watch it every year or anything, but I think my impression of what this movie is is a little different than what I notice now really paying attention and kind of dissecting it for this podcast. Because I think I thought of it the the way most people talk about it. It's talked about as like, oh, it's a Christmas classic. It's real feel good. And it's like all heartwarming. Mm-hmm. And I thought it's one of those movies, but I still like it for whatever reason, even though those typically aren't my types of movies. Right. But now when I go back and watch it, I was like, oh, it's very clear why I like this movie. And it's for a lot of reasons that I forgot that were in it. It has so many things that I love in movies. It's very earnest. It's anti-capitalist. It has a downtrodden protagonist who's like just running out of options and is at the end of his rope. And it's a really kind of a complex hero. And those are things that I love in a lot of movies. And I didn't expect them to all be in It's a Wonderful Life. I thought It's a Wonderful Life was much more one-dimensional than Mm -hmm. it turns out it is. Hmm. I also thought it was kind of like this um, saccharine, feel-good movie, but I thought it was in a way that it's earned so it's still enjoyable because i remember i brought up this movie as a counterpoint to a lot of the christmas movies you liked because you said i like these ones because they make you feel good and i said look you can be simple and sweet and feel good and still be a good movie but it turns out although i still would say this is a feel-good movie it's not simple and sweet no this movie is like brutal it's realistic it's dark but it still makes you feel good at the end yeah I uh, I agree with all of those things. Um, I just think that, I don't know, maybe it just didn't get me in the right way. I'll get you in the right way. <laughs> Andy is now shaking his fist at me. <laughs> <laughs> that either sounds like I'm threatening you or like hitting on you. Yeah. We go either way. <laughs> hey, baby, let me get, get you, you in the, the right, right way. way. <laughs> like, go either way. Either way. That's like a lot of things, though, when you're hitting on someone. If you like say them with like a really menacing voice, sometimes they don't sound that great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my next question to you then is, do you have a favorite part of this movie? Um, I liked the dancing scene. Oh, yeah. So there's that one point where there is a swimming pool underneath the gym floor and it's slowly opening and there's a Charleston contest going on. Yes. And then everyone jumps in and has a party, and then they sing on the way back home. That seems like a really nice night. I like how um, Alpha Alpha there is like, what? Steal my girl, will you? I'll get back at you. I'm going to get both of you real wet so you have to walk home naked. (laughs) That'll teach you. He's just helping George Bailey out. Really, it just helped. Yeah. Isn't that the guy, the alfalfa guy, isn't he the one who ends up being rich? No, that's, um... Yeehaw! Right. Yeah, that's a different guy. Oh, it's a different guy, okay. I forget his name. Sam that... Bailey? Sam Wainwright. Sam Wainwright. I knew yeah. it was Sam something. They're the Baileys. They're the Baileys. Yeah. Okay, I'm mixing all my characters together. So, Wendy, what's your favorite part of this movie? Because you love it. I do. I really do love this movie, and more than I thought I did, it turns out. I think as obvious of an answer as it may be the ending the ending gets me it gets me every time and i've seen it before i know what's coming and that's the part that everyone remembers too and yeah it got me again it's great 
Uh, we'll get into that more later, I suppose, as yeah, we go through yeah. things. But yeah, the ending's probably my favorite. Aww. I agree with you. The ending is really, it's a nicely done ending. What's your least favorite part of this? The drunk pharmacist. Oh, least favorite in in what way? It just it was kind of a cringy scene to watch. It was a cringy scene to watch, and I just didn't um, I didn't enjoy the way that it was kind of acted and directed. Can you tell me more about that? It felt very like I understand that they were trying to make him like a villain, but it mm-hmm. felt very um, like cartoony and kind of fake. And, like, I understand that his son had just died, and I understand mm-hmm. that he was, like, drinking, and he was, so he was drunk, but it was just, like, the way they played it seemed very, uh, kind of too campy and, like, too stereotypical. Okay. Yeah. I get what you're saying. It was, um, it's shocking. Yes. Because you're going into this happy Christmas movie, and at this point you haven't really seen any, like, big emotional sequences yet there's a few throughout but this is the first one we get and when you see this uh, old man like crying and drinking it's it's quite shocking yeah do you want to hear some like weird stuff about that part (laughs) yes i do so that actor went like real method with it so so he was drunk he was drunk he got real drunk and was just uh but it gets worse because you know he like slaps the kid around tells ear bleeds yeah he just did it (gasps) It was a different time, I guess. Oh you could get away with doing stuff like that on a film set. With kids. Yeah, so he just um, slapped the kid a bunch until his ear bled. So it was like real blood? I don't... So I'm not positive that the blood we see is real blood or if they added to it, but for sure he did actually hit the kid enough so his ear did bleed. Oh my god. Yeah. That's crazy. That is very crazy. That is absolutely crazy. Yeah. I can't even believe that there was a time where we like treated children like that yeah well i still do movies where we couldn't get a stunt right so i'm just like just hit me with the truck it's easier oh, yeah, and then right. i got hit with the truck you've been hit with the truck <laughs> <laughs> it still doesn't even look great no? that's a sad part oh so indy do you have a least favorite part in this movie that you love i don't know it was actually real hard for me to think about one because it's i really think it's a real solid movie but there's one part that eh, maybe not as much where um Late towards the end of the movie, we're seeing how everyone's life is so much worse when George isn't born. Mm-hmm. So we see that his brother is dead, his uncle is in an insane asylum, and worst of all, his wife is a single librarian. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that, that's me. You're not a single librarian. Well, I'm not married, I technically. Guess, okay. So, yeah, so, um, like, my life is the worst thing that he could imagine for his wife. That one kind of hurt a little bit. Oh. Yeah. Oh, you have me. Yeah. And this podcast. Oh, that doesn't sound good. If, if, <laughs> I don't want this podcast that, like, eight people listen to to be one of the best <laughs> things in my life. <laughs> well, you have me. Thanks. <laughs> So this one, it's a real hard movie for me to be analytical about because it's so much of it relies on on the emotion in the movie and like its ability to kind of get you to sympathize or empathize with these characters. Right. So it's real hard to like break it down on like what works and what doesn't. But I guess we can just talk a lot about uh, how those emotions come through yeah. and whether or not they were effective with this. 
Should we start off with a little bit of history, maybe? Sure. I love to hear the little insider tidbits on the movie. So it came out in 1946. Right. And now it's very well known and very famous in 46 it was a flop it did not do well did not make its money back really and was largely unheard of for about 30 years what brought it back so the copyright on the movie lapsed oh so it went into public domain and then any tv station could play it so come christmas time it started getting played in the 70s and then it was getting played so often because it was free to play that it became like a, a staple, really. And also, it wasn't really like that much of a Christmas movie. It's only Christmas on the last like 15, 20 minutes. 20 minutes, yeah, yeah. when they're in the house and he's running around being a crazy person. Yeah, there's, it's not like all of these events that we look back on his life, we see that's always Christmas Eve or something. It's never mentioned until the end, really. So because it was played all the time at Christmas, it became a Christmas movie, and then it got really popular after that. Is it, like, copyrighted now? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so it went back into copyright, and now I think NBC owns the rights to broadcast it, so they play it at least twice every Christmas season, but they always have, like, weird pop-ups and stuff during it and all the commercials. Did you know? Yeah. (laughs) Or just, like, ads for, like, football games or whatever they do. Uh, That's, like, all TV now, though. Yeah. Uh, it did get nominated for five Oscars, though. Oh, wow. And it won one. And it was something, actually, that you pointed out that won the Oscar. Do you remember the snow in this movie? Yeah. And what you thought about it, that it was kind of like drippy foam stuff, and that's yeah. how how it usually looks in movies? Yeah. This was the first movie to do that. Oh, really? Yeah, they oh, invented I didn't know that. that. That's so cool. It was using that kind of fire extinguisher stuff. Yeah, because I and... talked about that um, in like Hallmark movies when they film in July. Yes. They use that like foamy stuff because it doesn't like melt in the sun. Yep. And it looks kind of like snow, but it clings to stuff really weird. Yes. And there were points where it was just dripping off of stuff yeah. and it did not look real. No, but it was the first uh, movie to ever use that. So it won a technical Oscar for that achievement. That's so cool. Up until that point, they used cotton cornflakes painted white. Oh, and they just dropped them, and it was you couldn't record audio then because people are always crunching around on the cornflakes. Oh yeah, and it's falling right, so so you'd have to like dub it in. Yeah, so they wanted to record the audio because it's a really uh, it's a big scene when he's out on the bridge. Yes, and you yeah, need to and there's have all that, that. snow. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So they invented that. That's part. so cool. And Hallmark movies went on to use it forever. Yes, you'd think that that like would have progressed in quality by now i feel like it has even you were watching the shining which is from 1980 and you said it looked substantially better in the fake snow that was used there that does that does for sure and we've gotten a lot better if you look at movies now you rarely think about it because it looks pretty real for the most part except those hallmark movies have a much lower budget than a lot of the features true maybe we're not getting like hollywood money on those hallmark movies no you're getting hallmark money yes And, of course, it came out in 46, so it was right at the end of World War II. And it was Capra and Stewart's first movie back after the war. Because Jimmy Stewart uh, left Hollywood and was a pilot. And he, like, flew missions. And I think by the end of his time, he was, like, a colonel or something. He advanced real high through the army. Air Force? One of the two. That's so cool. And uh, Capra went on to make propaganda movies for the United States. So the um, the Why We Fight, is that what they were called? It was like a series that's quite popular and like it's good stuff. And he took time off of Hollywood to just make those movies for the war effort. Oh, wow. And then they both came back to do this. Uh, Jimmy Stewart didn't want to do it. And 
if you look at it now, he he had PTSD, but he was he had shell shock, and uh, <laughs> yeah, there's he was saying that he doesn't want to do anything that's like hard and emotional, and he needs time off. And I think it was Lionel Barrymore who's like of the the Barrymore family. Yes, and the he's Barrymores. Um, great uncle, I think. Mm. But he was a theater guy and a radio guy. And, they're a big. Uh, they're a big Hollywood family. Yeah, like everyone was in something. <laughs> yeah, and he convinced Jimmy Stewart to come and do this. That's so cool. I'm not sure if this is true, but I'd heard that uh, Barrymore said to him, like, "Well, how many people are you going to be helping dropping bombs on them? Why don't you do this? Make people feel good." And he's like, "Yeah, okay. That's, <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll do that." <laughs> Um, I like that they didn't stay in their, like, cushy Hollywood jobs during the war. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Well, Jimmy Stewart was, like, a, he's, like, a real military guy. Huh. He's very pro-military and stayed active as he was still in Hollywood, but he remained, like, I'm not sure if he's in the reserves or what, but uh, he remained a consultant for many years, and, yeah, he was very pro-military. Crazy. That seems, like, so unlike what would happen in Hollywood now. There's a lot of things in this movie that are very unlike what would ha- happen in Hollywood now. Yeah, like hitting like, children. Well, Jimmy Stewart, yeah, a guy that talks like that, looks like that, could not be a hero no. today. You no. can't. He'd be Steve Buscemi at the best, right? Right. He'd be a character guy yeah. on the side. Um, having this really anti-capitalist movie, that would probably be pretty hard to do now too. True, very true, because it's all about the money in the Hollywood. Although at the time, he this movie was investigated by like, because in the 50s, it got into the real, like the Red Scare stuff. And this was right. investigated for being like communist. And, Propaganda. Yeah, for being anti-banker, oh. which would happen today because you do get investigated for being anti-banker. Wasn't there a movie recently that was accused of being anti-oil? Uh, the Muppet movie? Yes, that's right. <laughs> you were telling me about that. Yeah. It would definitely be one of those movies that, like, maybe wouldn't even make it to, yeah. like, showing. And because people would just go, like, liberal Hollywood. Yeah, and, they're yeah. like, oh, this is anti-capitalism. Or, like, Holly weird. Am I right? <laughs> that They love saying that, Holly weird. Do they? Yeah, they think it's very funny. Why? It's not funny. No, it's not. That's but, like, dumb. if you're, like, Rush Limbaugh, it's hilarious. <laughs> well, I think... Uh, I'm glad this movie came out when it did because I don't know that it would have been made now. No, it's very much a post-war movie. Yeah. It's so unique to that particular time because it's, um, you had all these people coming back, so many people who had lost so, so much. Kind of the moral of this movie is that your sacrifice means something. That for all those people who are feeling lost, that they've lost so much, it's, it's not just like, look, you have all you need because like that would just be like kind of hollow. Yeah. It's um it's so much more. It says like look what would happen to others if you had not made that sacrifice. Right. And George is like this perfect hero for for the idea of self-sacrifice. It really reminds me of um Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Yeah. Cuz that was from Meet Me in St. Louis. Yes. And that was right around the same time, too. I always associate that with World War II and, like, the line of, like, we'll have to muddle through somehow. Yes. That's kind of encapsulates George Bailey of not like, hey, we can do anything. It's just like, we'll get through. Yeah. And that's... um, That was 1944. Okay. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's such a different take on what it is to be heroic and what it is to be, like, a meaningful member of society because he does seemingly so little... 
Yeah. And that's his consolation. It's not like, look, you it turns out you are amazing. You have everything. Yeah. It's a it's a really different look than you get in a lot of movies. Especially current movies, I feel like there always has to be a resolution where the the main person is like a hero or Yeah, and you can't be like a kind a of good hero. person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be like all the way. Yeah. Everything's like superheroes and not like in the literal superheroes. So you're either but... like really bad mm-hmm. and that's just the way you are or you're really really good and you get everything that you've ever wanted george is so so much more complex than i think this movie gives him credit for yeah because like i thought i thought this movie was a lot more simplistic than it is and if you haven't seen this in a while and you think like oh i know it it's a movie where a guy sees what life would be like without him and then he's real happy because he has all he needs there's so much more to it. And that whole sequence, which I think a lot of us think of as being the entire movie, is the last maybe... 20 minutes? Yeah. Minutes. The whole fantasy sequence is just a small portion of it. Instead, I know we paused it at one point for like a break because it's a two-hour movie. Um, and it was like, oh, we have 20 minutes left of this movie and we still haven't gotten to the what life would be like without you sequence. Yeah. And I couldn't even believe it. It's much less a big fantasy and much more of like two hours of this man just being crushed by life. Yeah. It's it's dark. It's depressing a lot of the time. But I do think it's uh, successful in that turnaround to make it a feel good at the mm-hmm. end. So did you like Jimmy Stewart in this? Because I think you said you hadn't really seen him in other stuff. Yeah, no, I haven't. Um I did. I liked him because he wasn't super over the top in either way. He wasn't like a super sad, crazy person, and he wasn't like a super happy, like, ah, oh, shucks, it'll be okay kind mm-hmm. of person. He was very real, and I really appreciated that. Yeah, we're going to see more of him because at one point we're going to watch Vertigo because I think that might be my favorite Hitchcock movie. Oh. And he's he's great in that too, but he gets this uh, kind of like stigma about him that he is just that, like, ah, oh, shucks, we can do anything. Right, and yeah. like. With the plucky spirit and all that. But yeah, this movie does show that there's a lot more to it. Yeah, and I, I liked that you didn't never really knew where his character was going to go. Mm-hmm. Like where he was going with whatever he was doing because he was being kind of just like a real person. Yes, yeah. I I really liked how grounded in realism his performance and the movie mm-hmm. is. Because we often hear the term Capra-esque. And that means like, like the movies of Frank Capra. And it just means uh, like overly sentim- sentimental... And everything's going to work out. And then when you actually watch some of his movies, it's not that simple at all. But yet, George Bailey is a really interesting character. Because he's similar to characters that he'd played in other Capra movies, but darker and beaten down. It's like like Mr. Deeds, but he never got the money. It's Mr. Smith, who never got elected. And it just kind of undermines the other heroes that he had played. Right. So it's uh yeah it's especially effective in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed watching his kind of journey because it did feel very real and it felt like something that could have been happening, you know, in the condo next door, not like in this fantastical world that doesn't actually exist. So he is deaf in the left ear, correct? I believe so. Yes. So I don't know this thing. Like it's a thing where like if you get salt, you throw it over your shoulder because yes. the devil is on your left. Yes. So. George, who is kind of this virtuous guy, is deaf in that ear, so the devil can't talk to him. But you notice how Mr. Potter is always sitting in his wheelchair and he has this kind of like butler guy right behind him? Yeah. 
who never really, I don't know if he has any lines, but he's always whispering to Mr. Potter right. into his left ear. Is that the devil? Hmm? Huh? Maybe. I didn't really notice that and put that together. But yeah, you're right. That could very much be. I like that he's like this um, this guy that can't be tainted, can't be tempted. Yes. And well, he can be tempted, but he ultimately uh, overcomes all Pulls of that stuff. Yeah. And yeah, he's uh, deaf in the left ear, in the <laughs> devil's ear. In the devil's ear. Is I that didn't... what they call him? The devil's ear. I didn't realize that the left ear was the devil's ear. I think that's a thing, right? Because the left hand is sinister, right? Yeah. It's from Latin. Left-handed and sinister is the same, right? Is that true? I don't know. I, I feel like I learn things sometimes and then I make up things sometimes and I can't tell which one is which. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of things that I do mostly with my left side now because that's the devil's side. Yeah. I I sleep on my right side, so my left ear is always exposed. Yeah, devil's always a talking oh, in that Oh, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I know last episode we were talking a little bit about how it's kind of a mix between a Christmas Carol and a Charlie Brown Christmas. Yes. It kind of makes sense now, yes, doesn't it? Yes, it does, actually. It's kind of like a Christmas Carol in reverse, yes. rather than like an old terrible man being shown like times of happiness. Yeah. We get to see like a, a good man, an ultimately good man, yes. just plunging into despair. And I feel like that's a lot more relatable. Because how many of us are rich misers and then we need to be reminded? It's more likely that we are like pretty good people, at least yeah. okay people, but we get like crushed by a lot of things that happen to us. And yes. then we kind of forget about about the good stuff. Yeah. And he gets shown the good stuff. Well, he gets shown the bad stuff, technically, yes. yeah. which leads him to appreciate the good stuff more, which, uh, which was nice. And which then... is so much, it's such a more complex way to go about doing that it's so much easier to say like look here's good stuff and the person be like okay yeah cool i want that but to show someone like how much worse it could be for others not even for you yes it relies on a lot of like altruism right yes it's uh yeah it's a much more difficult way to get a to get to the same point as a christmas carol and i i think i took that for granted like it's a lot more clever this movie than we think it is yeah i would uh i would agree with you so what did you think about the relationship between George and his brother? I loved it. Yeah. I, like so many things in this, I feel like there's an easy way they could have done something which would get to the same end more reliably and quicker. And they mm -hmm. went about it in a very difficult way, which was ultimately more fulfilling. Because you could have done, his brother could have just been a dick, yes. right? And he gets all these awards and he's like, ah, screw this town. I'm not doing this. And it would paint the picture that like, yep, George is the good one. He's the bad one. And that's easy to do. Yes. But they didn't do that. They made the brothers a great guy too. Yeah. They, they're both really nice guys. And George saves him. And then they're like still best friends. And then he's older so he like goes to work and sends his brother to school and Again, he sacrifices his whole education yes. for his brother almost his whole life really yeah because then he wanted to go away after that but then again he well his brother has a good job opportunity yeah. so he he self-sacrifices some more right mm -hmm. i um i liked their relationship because it really drove home the fact that they were like just nice guys mm-hmm because um, yeah you're right they could have made him a dick and I think that would have been really easy to portray and really would have left you with kind of the same feeling um, and it would get you there so much quicker it too. would yes cut like half an hour out of this 
two-hour movie. Yeah, this movie, as typical as we might think it is, it really takes complex ways to go about certain things. Mm-hmm. Like like George himself, he could very easily have been like um, a Willie Loman type or like a Bartleby the Scrivener. Do people know Bartleby? I don't know who Bartleby is. Uh, it's a Melville thing. Um, he could have been like the most beaten down guy. Because he is. He gets beaten down and he loses, like, constantly. Yes. But he's he's like a Charlie Brown. He's going to keep going. And he's not... He's going to keep getting up. Yeah. He's not uh, like, hey, it got me down, but I'm back up again. He's just doing his thing, right? Yeah. He doesn't celebrate that he's resilient. He doesn't get lost and become, like, a shell of a human. He's he's in the middle. He's complex. The oddest thing happened when I was watching it, I thought of uh, two of my very favorite pieces of um, literature or film, Mm -hmm. Uh, Jude the Obscure, which is maybe my favorite novel. And it's just about a man who's trying to do what he can, but everything ends up screwing him over. Yes. And that one is a really, uh, it's Thomas Hardy, so it's sad and depressing. So it kind of takes, it ends out in the opposite way of this. Mm -hmm. And I also thought of uh, Taxi Driver. Oh, really? And you wouldn't think, like, there's nothing that these two movies have in common. But there is in a lot of ways. It's just how it ends up is what's different. Both are protagonists who who feel like the world hasn't treated them well. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't seen Taxi Driver now, you guys out there can just apply this to the Joker movie because the Joker movie is just Taxi Taxi Driver Driver mixed with King of Comedy. (laughs) So just go watch old De Niro movies. But anyways, it's about a man who's just like, he can't take it anymore. And he feels like he needs to do something. Mm -hmm. And he just needs to get out there. And while George Bailey just keeps getting beaten down, Travis Bickle acts out in in acts of violence. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's extremely 1970s, while George Bailey's extremely 19, America in the yeah. late 40s. Yes. I look forward to seeing Taxi Driver. One day. It's all... you talk about it at least once a week. It's so good. Um, <laughs> it's like one of those movies, though, I've actually only seen twice, maybe. Twice? I think it's my favorite movie ever, but you can't watch taxi driver a lot there's some movies that like can be your favorite movie but that you can't overwatch or else they just stop being that movie for you yeah if you watch taxi driver a lot you should probably seek mental help oh like there's probably you're probably having a real tough time in your life and uh i'm here to talk you're watching taxi (laughs) driver all the time you know what write us a little letter we'll we'll chat It is indeed helping out the common taxi driver. Or if you're fan. watching Joker all the time now, like I know, I know, there's a lot of fun themes in there. It's a pretty good movie, but uh, don't get caught up in that one. <laughs> don't either. get caught up in that one. Yeah, don't idolize him as a yeah a role model. Yeah, Joker and Travis Bickle are not heroes. George Bailey is a hero. George Bailey is a hero. But he's so like not a hero for today. No. You could not picture this to be the heroic outcome of anyone else. Like, in the end, his big heroic moment is like, oh, I'll just, I live to fight another day. Really. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. And that's so sad, but also so brilliant. I could see this being a big thing in the post-war America, where all of these men are coming back who are like, either physically and mentally broken or just kind of mentally broken. Mm-hmm. The PTSD... And um, all the things that they've done or seen. And they're trying to go back to, like, regular everyday life. And I feel like this movie is like, yeah, you can do it, buddy. Yeah, it's saying, like, just being that normal everyday life. Is that enough. is great. Yeah. That's enough. Yeah. 
And everything that you've sacrificed, it means something to people. Mm -hmm. You're not doing this for no one. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really of the time. And I think it's a, yeah, it's a very good movie. I think it works. You should love it. <laughs> I'm warming up. Oh. <laughs> um, so one thing I really liked about this movie was the opening credit sequence. With this, It was like a storybook. Oh, right. I liked that quite a bit. And it really kind of... It kind of set the scene and got you into the mood for the kind of movie that you were about to watch. And um, I did not care for the stars. <laughs> I find the opening of this movie to be very perplexing <laughs> because like the storybook and then you're like, okay, so this is kind of like like a Christmas tale. It's like fantasy. It's some kind of story, but it's not. It's like the most realist thing around. And yet it opens with like, Talking galaxies and stars. Yeah. One is, I guess, God, and then St. Joseph and Clarence comes in? Clarence. Oh, Clarence. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre to say, like, this movie, there's, like, violent drunks, there's talking galaxies, and an angel. This is all the same is movie. Is a space movie? It's it's all over the place. It in is a lot all of over ways. the place. But it's so grounded still. Yes. Um, I had forgotten all about the talking galaxies by the end when you see them one more time. Yeah. When they send Clarence like, oh, yeah. in. And I'm Wait, like, what? Oh, yeah, this is part of this movie. There was talking stars at one point. And that was in my um my whole thing. And I think I started out this movie trying to, like, figure it out harder than it, like, should have been. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, angels can't see humans without wings. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, he's an angel second class. Yeah. We don't need to, we don't need to know the, like, reasons why angels can see and can't see. Yeah. That just, like, that's just taking it too far. <laughs> um, I just needed to, like, take a step back and just kind of enjoy the story of the movie because I was, like, I was analyzing it like we'd analyze, like, a Marvel movie. It's like... Not at all? Well, no, because it's like, oh, this person's power is this, and this person can do this, oh, but... Oh, in that but, sense, yes. Nobody else can do that because of this. And right. I was like trying to like. You were worried about the powers of angels. <laughs> yes, I was. I was very worried about it. And I was having like a really hard time getting past it. And then. <laughs> That's such an odd thing to get caught I know, up on. I know. I was like trying to figure out the angel powers. Like it would actually like matter in the movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so then I finally just had to like put my phone down for a couple of minutes and like stop typing notes out because i was starting to like analyze and overanalyze this like thing that was not even mentioned for the rest of the movie until no the it end. doesn't matter really like <laughs> until he gets his wings yeah and i was just like okay i just need to like step away from these like this line of uh me watching this movie i just need to like focus and i need to like just watch the movie and enjoy it so the other weird thing in this movie that didn't really make a lot of sense was Uncle Billy's raven friend. Yeah, he has a raven and a squirrel. And remember, yeah, we go into his office and he's got like all sorts of animals in it. And it's like, what is he doing in his office? <laughs> I wonder if, like, I know the 40s aren't that long ago, but maybe there was less of a line of like, what's a domestic animal and what's a wild, wild animal? I don't think so. I think maybe you're like, yeah, I have a squirrel as a pet, whatever. No? I don't think so. Because I don't think there were, I don't think people had hamsters and stuff then, did they? I don't know. I think they had squirrels. When was the hamster domesticated? I have no idea. <laughs> Are hamsters wild animals somewhere? I also don't know. Guinea pigs are. Like, guinea pigs are, are they in Peru? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, hamsters? Huh. 
there must be wild hamsters somewhere. I'm going to Google that because now I really need to know. <laughs> but the uh, the raven, that's uh, Jimmy the Raven. Jimmy the Raven? Yeah, Jimmy the Raven's Is a Is he big... a, like a person? He's, he's a raven. He's, he's a guy? Jimmy the Raven. It's like right in the name. I thought you would have gotten that part. Is he like a Hollywood raven? Yeah. Jimmy what the else Raven. Is he in? Oh, he was in um uh a bunch of Capra movies. He's worked with Jimmy Stewart more than once. You know when there's a raven in Wizard of Oz that lands on the scarecrow? Yes. That's Jimmy the Raven. What? Jimmy the Raven is in hundreds of movies. Literally, I think over one thousand movies. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. He's Hollywood royalty. He um He's better than most of the actors in <laughs> Hollywood. He has like a medal from the Red Cross for all the work he did entertaining the troops. Oh. He um yeah, thousand movies. He uh was part of a famous family of Hollywood Ravens. Of course it ended in tragedy where um he killed himself and his wife in a murder suicide. He found out his uh, his wife was cheating on him with Lassie, and uh, oh my god, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know about hamsters? Are you gonna let all that go? <laughs> yeah, I am. How much of that do you think is true? I don't know, none of it. Half. Half. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to know which half. Okay, go about hamsters. Uh, so hamsters. There's 20 species of hamsters, and they are wild throughout much of Europe and Asia. I've been through much of Europe like, and Asia. Currently. <laughs> and I've never seen a like a hamster. They were around. domesticated in the nineteen thirties when they were starting to do like more animal testing. Oh. And then um scientists in Syria bred most of the hamsters like lineage that exists now and are sold in pet stores. All right then. This has been Hamster Corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would be so weird to see like a hamster just like out and about yeah he's just like waiting for the train or something yeah. this little briefcase and hat oh that'd be so cute out and about one thing i didn't like about this movie is the portrayal of women being like soft-spoken and like just waiting to get married the little girls at the bar when um George is working at the pharmacy mm-hmm. and they're sitting at the like ice cream bar and they're like, Oh well, George, da 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 Well that's Violet. That's her that's her bit. But they're both talking like that. I think that's just how she talked. It's, oh. <laughs> but I, I I like that bit because um she Violet's really into George. Mary says like, You like him? Well you like all the boys. Because she's angry because she's into George and, like, in deeply in love with him. Yes. And then uh, Violet responds, yeah, well, what's wrong with that? Which I love. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I do like that part. Yeah. I just didn't enjoy how, like, silly and, like, empty-headed she seemed. I think her head was just full of one thing. Boys. Boys. <laughs> and ice cream. And ice cream. Oh, Mary wanted that ice cream. And she's like, no coconut. And George is like... Listen, brainless, you're going to eat this coconut and you're going to love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Listen, brainless. I love that line. That was such a good line. I think we should bring this back of how in the 40s they start everything with, say, yeah. say, Sam, what do you think about this here movie? Oh, say, Indy. Uh... <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Listen, you. <laughs> look. Look, you can do. You can do listen. You can do look. You can do say. You can do say, but you can't do like smell. <laughs> Smell, Indy. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks. 
Uh, what are we even talking about? I this don't has been know. a weird. This is. I'm sorry, guys. We're a little sleepy. I think, I think is what it is. It's been a. It's been a long week already. Okay, I'll I'll bring us back down. Okay, just let's talk in. about tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> the tragedy that is George Bailey's life. I love how it's like the most relatable tragedy. Yes. And that makes it sadder in some ways. Yeah. So you look at like big melodramatic things and like you watch your dancers in the dark and whatever things like that, where it's just every terrible, terrible thing happens. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you feel like beaten down by it, but it doesn't hit you like maybe as close to home as something like, like what George goes through because it's so relatable. Maybe I'm projecting in myself a lot because I've Maybe if I didn't have family in Edmonton, I wouldn't have ever come back here. And yeah. I would have been living abroad. And so you kind of feel like, oh, what could I have done if I was still like traveling around the world all the time? But I think it's one of the saddest things when um, all he wanted was just not to have his father's life. Yes. And, and then that's, he ended up that's having really it. sad in itself. It's yes. just wanting to not be like your father, to to idolize him and then fear that as well. That's such a sad thing. And then he ends up exactly in that same place. And it seems like something that he could have so easily avoided. But then you see how everything just keeps building upon it in yeah. the last. And uh, he's just, just kind of destined, fated for this exact same life. Exactly the one thing that he didn't want. And it's, yeah, it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And it um really kind of... It's a realistic thing, like everything else in this movie. It's a realistic thing that I'm sure has happened to many people. Yeah. And suddenly you're stuck and you just take the path that's presented to you and you spend your life wondering what could happen. Like he carries around those brochures in his yeah. coat pocket. So that's sad. so sad. And then when his honeymoon's canceled, they just have posters of all the places they were going to go to. Yeah. I don't know. That's really sad. That was like kind of nice because yeah, it was sweet. Their but also friends sad. did like a really nice thing for them, but it was also very sad because he's like, "Oh, we're never gonna go there. Oh, we're never gonna go there." And um, I don't know. I think that would be a really depressing thing to look at on your wedding night if your honeymoon had been canceled and you didn't get to leave because your brother or because of this or because of that, and like every cool thing in your life has been canceled. Mm-hmm. And then on your honeymoon night, when you're supposed to be, like, so happy, you have to look at posters of places that you've never been. Yeah. And before his father dies, he, like, recognizes that this isn't the life for his son. Yes. And it's not like he's pressuring him super hard, like, no, you have to do this for the family. He, at one point, wants him to leave. And he says, okay, you get yourself out of here. You get that education and you you live your life. And then he dies that day, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Oh, man. It's brutal. It's like later that night. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's like the beginning of all the really sad stuff. And then there's a photo of his dad that's just always like kind of that moral presence that's like guiding George throughout a lot of it. It's not so much in the guilt, but it's in it's an obligation that I think that he represents. He loses out on his his Europe trip first, then he can't go to college, then he doesn't get his honeymoon, and it's all just trying to help out everyone around him yeah trying to be that like steady rock for everybody this was a very sad movie this was not a feel-good christmas movie but in the end don't you feel good i do feel good yeah he realizes his life is okay let's yeah let's wait on the end do you want to go through some of those uh some of those scenes on the way to the life turning out to be wonderful yes well early on if we're talking about the father there's the one part where we already mentioned when the 
druggist is drunk, his son just died, and he puts poison into the the capsules. I love that bottle labeled poison. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. So that's where he keeps it's the poison. Just the poison. Yeah. But yeah, so in this scene, he gets the pills that he's supposed to deliver. And I think we don't realize how hard it would be for a child. First of all, he's like, what, 12 and he has a job to disobey the orders of your boss or an adult. Yeah, It's probably real tough. Well, especially back then. Yeah. So he um, he sees that sign and says something about like, ask your dad. But it's a cigarette ad. But either way, he's like, yeah, my dad knows everything. I'm going to go to him. And he goes there for some sort of like reassurance and guidance. And then he sees his dad being berated by Potter. And that's such a sad thing, too, to be like humiliated in front of your child. Yes. To be like belittled in that way. Because, yeah, he was a he was really going at it. And meanwhile, poor George is standing there witnessing this like terrible thing. And he's holding a box full of poison. And he doesn't get his answer in the end, right? Yeah. So then he uh, leaves, but he has the um, like the moral wherewithal to to make the right choice and not deliver the poison, even though he got smacked around. Yeah, and then he gets smacked around for it. Ooh, that's a it's a grim scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really grim way to start a movie. Yeah, it really is to get a a man so drunk because of the loss of his son. That he beats a child yeah. and almost kills another. That's where this feel-good, all-American Christmas classic starts. Well, it starts in space, but after that. I mean, after space. <laughs> Isn't that where all good, feel-good movies start? Yeah. Space? <laughs> See, this is what I was saying a little bit in regards to the Hallmark movies, where everyone's just like, oh, I'm a little busy. Oh, now I found something new. It's not a great journey. But yeah. when you go from this to the end of this movie... like. That's a journey. That is a journey. That's a journey I want to go on, and I'm glad I do. I love a lot of these scenes because they're, I don't want to say melodramatic, because that has a negative connotation to it, but they're so um, unhinged, raw emotion in this movie Mm -hmm. that I was not expecting. Like, when the druggist is drunk, when George, like, gets real angry later on, the emotions in this movie are just so, like, palpable and raw that it makes you sympathize or empathize with these characters just that much quicker yes do you have any favorite scenes like that any of the really emotional ones well i really enjoyed like the wedding scene i felt like it was like one moment of happiness after like an hour of them being really sad but do we get to see much of the wedding well you see them coming out of the church and then instantly you see the run on the bank Yes. So there isn't really much of a moment. But of there's happiness. like it, it. This movie does really good, like really highs and really lows. Yeah. So it was kind of neat to go from like wedding to bank to honeymoon yeah. to like and and him moving through these like crazy highs and lows. I think that little sequence right there is really a microcosm of the movie, right? Yes. Where you he wants something great and you yeah. think he's gonna get it because he has this money for the honeymoon. His personal obligation pulls him back. He gives the money away at the bank. But then he has enough. And he has what matters. And that's shown like when he has that uh, dinner or party or whatever it is. Just him and his new wife in their new home. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I enjoyed that too because it showed that they had like people who wanted to help them and who wanted to like make sure that they had like a good life. Yeah, Bert and Ernie. Bert and Ernie. Yeah. <laughs> Which was very funny that that was their name. Um, this is pre-Sesame Street. Pre-Sesame Street. 
I liked that it wasn't all doom and gloom because it very easily could have been like mm. gloom, 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 gloom. Okay, happy ending because he realizes that like everything is okay. Yeah, everything is a real struggle. It's all back and yes. forth. It's not just everything gets worse and then he breaks. It's there's ups and downs mm-hmm. throughout, and I think that's where that's a lot of where the movie shines in that realism. And you can tell that like because he gave up so much in his life, he's not like an angry curmudgeon who just like lives his life because like oh well, I have no other choice. Mm-hmm. He lives his life and he loves his kids and he loves his wife and he loves the people that he knows in town and his family and his mom and like he still has a very good life. Um, a wonderful life, you might say. A wonderful, you might say a wonderful life. Someone might say that. Um, and he, uh, he is like just trying to do the best he can with what he has. Yeah. He's, He's not... doing what he can, and that's the hero we need. Yes. Someone who does what they can. I love it. He's not like, oh, my life sucks. Oh, I gave up all this stuff. Oh, you're the lucky one, mm-hmm. little brother. Yet on the other hand, though, he's not all like, don't worry, I'll do it. Don't yeah. worry, I'll do this. He has bitterness to him. Yes, he does. But and it's it doesn't not his come out all flaw. the time, but it comes out. Yes. And that's what makes him more relatable. Yeah. Because he's in the middle. He's conflicted inside. So this up and down we see in his life, that's going on within him all the time. Like, mm-hmm. yes, he is appreciating these things he has. He's doing what he can, but he's disappointed. He's sad in a lot of the decisions that he's been forced into making. And that bitterness is there. It doesn't come out much, but when it does, it's especially painful, I'd say. So there's that sequence when um, when Uncle Billy loses the money. Right. And doesn't that, like, make you nervous? Yes. The fact of losing all your money and it's just in an envelope? I think that's scarier than, like, haunted houses because I, I could feel that. Yes, and the panic. Um, but anyways, I was saying that the bitterness comes out in George and... He snaps on him. He says, like, where's the money, you stupid, silly old fool? And it's brutal when he says that to him. He also says, like, one of us is going to jail and it's not going to be me. Which, like, yeah, fair, but also, like, really harsh. Yeah, it's true. And Uncle Billy's like, I can't remember. It hurts. It hurts. Because he's not mentally well. No. And he has, like, some lines that you can only catch if you really listen. But he says, like, I checked every room in my house, even the ones I haven't been into since my wife died. And you get this little little sad glimpse into Uncle Billy's life. And he's this forgetful old man who's living by himself. And all he has is his squirrels and his raven. There's little glimpses of tragedy all over if you really listen for them. This was a movie that's, there's a lot of lines that you cannot hear. There's just, they're coming at you so quickly all yes, the time. Yes, there's like the beginning, I remember us both saying like, like this is too fast. <laughs> it's crazy how fast everything comes at you. This script must be huge. Oh, I bet. This is not a movie that you can watch like tired. No. Because you, need to you be have up. to be like mentally on it in order to like really get everything that's coming at you or even get like 60% of what's coming at you it's two hours long but it doesn't give you much rest it's like coming at you all the time yeah there's so many of those shots where it's always a big group of people yes even when it's George talking he's like within a group everyone's kind of like grabbing at each other they're all talking over each other their uh, group work is really funny yeah and I think that's kind of that must be like real intentional because this movie is about as much it is about one single man 
it's about the community, the right? The town, yeah. Because I think most movies like this, they have to have a side of this kind of community versus individualism. But It's a Wonderful Life shows that they're like inextricably linked. Right. This individual is this community. He cannot exist without it. And by showing George throughout most of the movie, always with this group, it kind of underscores that a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you see him later in the movie, he starts becoming separated, and we finally start seeing him in the screen by himself, which for the first half of the movie, you don't really see. Oh, interesting. I didn't really think about that. Yeah, so he's kind of um, becoming more isolated and trying to be that individual. I think in the end, the movie doesn't have a take of like so many movies where one great individual can save all of this. Because that's kind of what it says, because the movie tells us that this town would not be what it is without him. Mm -hmm. But it also shows you that he would not be what he is without them. Yes. So another scene that um, really kind of stuck with me was when George comes home and yells at his kids. Yeah, because that's so out of character for him. And you can really see that this man is like at the breaking point. Yeah. But it was still relatable. Yeah. I don't think I've ever yelled at children. Oh, no, I taught, like, grade four. I yelled at them this one time. (laughs) Oh, they were being so bad. But anyways. (laughs) You're right back there again. Yeah. It's still, like, even if you're like, that is crazy and cruel and unnecessary, it's still relatable. Yes. We've all had those moments where we're like, oh, I should lower my voice a little bit. Yeah. And it's just like, no one does any one thing, but you can just see how each thing is just kind of gnawing away at him a little more and a little more. And when he's in this heightened situation, he's just ready to snap. Yeah. And when she's playing that piano, it goes on for like five, six minutes in the movie. Just those same few notes of that song. Yeah. But if you were afraid that you're going to jail the next day, I can see how that would drive you crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I loved how the kids weren't played super over the top. I loved all the kids in this. I know you had a problem with some of them, but I thought the child actors were really good. His kids were fantastic. I thought um, they weren't like, oh, I'm a kid and I live in the 1940s. (laughs) (laughs) I love, that's my my favorite impression so far. Um, and I think that there were a lot of things that they really could have played up to make them, like, stereotypical, like, 1940s kids. Like if they were just gangster kids? Yeah. my kid, she, Yeah, just like that. Um, I liked that they were very real, and they were only doing things that, like, real kids would do. Like, yeah. practicing their piano, because they're going to play it at the party later. And, like, one was sick, and the other one was asking for spelling words so he could finish his homework. Yeah. And, like, it was just, it was nice to see these kids. And how she wouldn't like, zip up her coat because she didn't want to crush her flower. Yeah. And then she didn't want to go to sleep because she wanted to look at her flower. I Aww. loved that. Oh, Zuzu. Zuzu. It was such a sweet moment. Mm-hmm. And it, it seemed to calm him a little bit. And then he went and yelled at the teacher and and her husband. Yeah. Yeah, I loved angry George Bailey. <laughs> Not in like, yeah, I want to see that character all the time. It's just you see how he gets there and it feels so earned like yeah. when he eventually snaps. And then when he goes to the bar later, that scene is devastating because you have him like praying and he just breaks down and cries. Yeah. And that shot is maybe the only real close up we get of the movie. Of him? Yeah. And it's him crying and breaking down. And it was so good that they punched in further. Oh. So they zoomed in with the camera as close as they could. But that shot is especially grainy because they've actually like enlarged the print to be oh, even closer. So just it's for that like one part. Too zoomy. Yeah. It's too zoomy. 
in the bar, you know kind of at this point in the movie what's going to happen. Like, you're if you're following, like, general plot of something, you kind of know, like, oh, the husband of that, like, teacher's going to be there. Or, like, you knew the husband was going to be there? Yeah. Whoa. Weird it, call. Good job. It, I wouldn't have guessed that. It just it felt like he's, like, at his lowest point, and there's going to be one more thing to kind of knock him even lower. Yeah. And then he's going to be gone. Yeah, literally. Um, but I think uh, the way that they, like, did it where he wasn't like immediately walking into the bar they're like george bailey yeah they give him a moment to get like real sad yeah and then they bring in this guy who's like there to just punch him in the face because he was dick to his wife Mm -hmm. and then because he doesn't quite feel ready enough to meet clarence clarence that's his name right yes yeah okay um he doesn't quite seem ready when he gets to the bar and then as soon as he leaves the bar you're like yep it's time for, like, the upswing a little bit, which is not an upswing. It is actually a downswing. <laughs> it, it's, it comes to, like, starts to build towards the resolution, which I liked. Yeah, before we get into the fantasy sequence and the ending, there's one other one that I wanted to talk about, oh. one other scene that I really loved, and that was their first kiss, George and Mary. Yeah. So at this point, George has been told by his mom to go, like, oh, go call on Mary, and he doesn't want to because he doesn't want to get stuck with her he wants to get out of here yeah but he eventually goes there and he's acting like quite a dick to her and then sam wainwright calls and she tries to make him jealous and it pretty much works and when he kisses her and they're both still kind of on the phone do you remember that scene yes it is one of my favorite movie kisses now i think because it's filled with not just like love and tenderness, because that's what you see in most romantic movies. But this one is filled with like anger and passion and frustration and just humanity and resignment almost. Yeah. He doesn't want to love her. No, he wants to get out of town still. He wants to be free and he doesn't want to be attached to anyone. He doesn't want to get married. He wants to have four harems and all of that. <laughs> yes, right? that's right. He wants to get out there, but... His love for her is just too strong. And you get to see him fight it and lose. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful. It's beautifully acted by both of them. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just a wonderful show. It was a heartwarming scene. But it was also very, like, cute in the way that you can tell they're both, like, kind of fighting it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even find it heartwarming. There was just more passion than that. And there was mm-hmm. so much more behind it that I couldn't just look at him and be like, aw. That wasn't my feeling at all. It was uh. just like a... It brings you near tears, I find, uh-huh. more than just being like, oh, that's sweet. It wasn't like, oh, that's sweet. That's not what I meant. I, it meant just like, it's that moment where you're like, yeah, they're going to be together. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah it wasn't like, oh, that's sweet wasn't really how I was feeling. But it was just like, it was very well done in that it really made you feel like, okay, things are going to start to go well now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if they're not going to go well you think that they're going to be together and they should be together. They have to be yeah, together. Yeah, they have to be together. For sure. So in the um, fantasy angel sequence, which makes it sound like a Victoria's Secret show. Fantasy angel. <laughs> the Pottersville sequence. Yeah, in the Pottersville sequence. I liked how the same but different the town was. Like, it, it really showed what it could have been like. And I liked that they didn't show that Potter had, like, run the town into the ground. Like, it was thriving. There was lots of new businesses and there was stuff happening in town. 
Um, but it wasn't like the wholesome town that used to be there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I like that they didn't show that it was like, oh, it's, you know, lots and lots of rich people and lots and lots of poor people because Potter only cares about money. Yeah. I think it's kind of implied, but they don't really say it like yeah. that. It's more like, look, there's dancing now. That's the worst, right? Like, <laughs> ah, is it though? But then know. when you see the actual people and where they are now, yes. you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I also found it really interesting when we met each of the characters because they all acted very differently from how they were in real life or in his life, in George's life. How so? Um, there was just a little bit more of a, like, of a cynicism almost. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, and I think it, it has to do with the fact that Potter's running the town now and I think maybe they have to work a little harder to make ends meet and he's charging them all this rent and life isn't great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked that, uh, you can really see it when you meet each of the characters in this new kind of reality. Yeah, and the new version of the his old boss the the pharmacist that one was really sad how he's just some drunk wandering around and they just spray him and laugh at him yeah that was harsh i uh i find that really sad yeah it was Um, almost more sad than when he looks for his brother and he's just like oh yeah he's dead no one saved him from the ice yeah that's so much more of a simple sadness while this man who went to prison and is now just uh like an alcoholic, uh, the homeless, homeless alcoholic. alcoholic. Yeah. yeah, that's that's rough. I ugh. yeah, it, and I enjoyed that they didn't make that part. Like I, I like how non campy this movie is, mm-hmm. um, and I like how non campy this part of the movie is, and the way that they make him see that his life is actually better with him in it isn't like. Oh, look at all these like horrible, horrible things, and everyone's dead. And like they could have taken it a lot farther. Yeah. And I like that they didn't. Yeah, a lot of the strength of the movie is in its restraint mm-hmm. of not making the good people so good, the evil people so evil. Like Potter is definitely a villainous yes. character, but he's not cartoonish. He's no, he's not. He's like, just greedy. Wah-ha-ha-ha. He just wants to do what yeah. he can to make the most money he can. He's, yeah. He's an evil old man, but he's not like, I'm going to go pinch children. Or like... <laughs> yeah, they're always pinching children. <laughs> Whatever evil people do yeah. in their spare time. <laughs> children pinching. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that I have anything else to say about the magical fantasy angel sequence. Yeah, it's funny how... That's kind of what most people know this movie for. Yeah. But it's not the most interesting part it's of this not. movie. It's not. And it's not a long part of this movie because no. we're already done talking about we it. We are. <laughs> so do you want to go to the end end now? So he goes back to the bridge. He says, I wish I want to live. I want to live. Or whatever he says. <laughs> yeah. And um, I love that because the music stops and the snow starts again. Yes. And that's the transition that you're like, oh, he's he's back. And it's. It gets so silent that it was really effectual that you can watch this realization kind of Mm -hmm. cross George's face. And I like how desolate they made that bridge seem Mm -hmm. because it would be silent and you would only be able to hear like the wind and maybe the river underneath. And that would be the only thing that you could hear all around unless someone was driving. 
yeah, it's like the perfect desolate place to have like either a breakthrough or a breakdown and like he had both. He had both, yeah. And then we get the really heartwarming part where everyone comes and gives him money and that scene gets me like every time. Oh, that was a very nice scene. The relief and the joy at the end of this movie is just it's some of the strongest emotion I have in any movie ever is at the end of this really it gets me every time ever i've seen it probably four or five times by now Mm -hmm. and yeah this ending it really gets me every time oh did so we made a bet that if you cried or tear up i get two tasty cakes i didn't cry or tear up no you have an icy heart of stone (laughs) thank you (laughs) You look wow. seriously put off. I'm shocked. Yeah, no, I didn't cry. He cried at the end of MasterChef. Yeah. And not in this. Yeah. Whoa. And then when, what's his name, Sam wires him the money, and then his brother says to George Bailey, the richest man in town. Oh. That didn't get you? No, that was pretty good. Oh, it's so fucking didn't good. Didn't make me cry, though. Glad you didn't look over at me, then. <laughs> Were you bawling? Not balling. <laughs> yeah, now I'm going to tr- start testing which kinds of movies make you cry. Hallmark movies. What? Master That's chef. bullshit. If you cry in a Hallmark movie and not in this, those movies are trite and manipulative. <laughs> we know. <laughs> this, it was just, it was just so earned. Like, I feel like I've been on this lifelong journey with this man. And to see him finally get a little bit of success, and not just that, but to realize that his whole life has been for something. I and smiled he has everything at the there. end. Is smiling not good enough? No, it's not. I smiled. Icy heart of stone. But I was smiling. That's your, your, does that, oh, that's why everyone calls you Sam Icy Heart of Stone He's. Yes. I get it now. <laughs> so, Indy, do you have any final thoughts on this movie that you love? Yeah, beyond um, you having an icy heart of stone. Yes, we've we've covered that. <laughs> <laughs> if you're like Sam and you have an icy stone heart, or if you have a tender heart, I suggest you go and watch this movie. If you've seen it as a kid, watch it again, because I think it might not be what you remember. You might get different stuff from like, it. It's not just about like Christmas, feel good. It's about longing. It's about disappointment. It's about greed. And it's about how the good largely go unrewarded and the evil go unpunished potter at the end he keeps that money yes he does that's it i was shocked by that yeah i was like because that's the world but rich people steal things and they get to keep them that's crazy it is crazy let's rush the legislature let's bring it down I can't run it for politics again, can I? After no, saying you can't. That. I did not mean that I was in jest. We shall overcome through democratic means. Democratic process. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> I winked into the mic when I said that. But anyways, it's a great movie. It's full of just humanity. Yeah, for sure. The best and the worst. And it's a great movie that expresses like the hopes and dreams of a post-war America. It has that kind of open ending about like the punishment and what George is going to do. Like We don't really know what's going to happen after this. And that kind of mirrors 
America at this point. Yes. They've gone through 15 years of turmoil and they feel like, well, we've won this war. So, right? Everything's going to be good from now on, right? Question mark? But it's it's so uncertain because of all the terrible things that mm-hmm. happened in that war. It's a it's an uncertain but promising time, and that's kind of how you leave this movie. It's hopeful and optimistic, but it's still wary and realistic. It's concerned with what George and America can be, not just what they are right now. Okay. It's um it's not so naive to think that everything is solved this is the end or and similarly like everything is going to be great for america but it's saying that you can be your best when you try your best yeah and it's such a simple message but it's done in a really complex and captivating way mm-hmm. so go watch it's a wonderful life yes go watch it and maybe you'll cry at the end you probably will or maybe you won't if you have and an icy that's stone okay heart. too indy yes Samantha. I'm going to bump my rating of this movie up to I like it quite a bit. What? That's that's up. What is that out of a 10? Um, like a an 8.5. Okay, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I don't want to like go straight to 10. Right. Um, but I uh I definitely recommend that you watch it. Um, maybe don't watch it on a night when you really need something like super uplifting and happy, um, because this no, do watch it on that night. There's nothing more uplifting and happy. Because I feel like there's nothing more un- uplifting and happy than something that is so rooted in reality and tells you to be happy with what you have. You don't have to marry a Christmas prince to be happy. You, you don't do. have to like go from nothing and be the world famous. Rockstar, I don't know, a lot of other Christmas movies. But <laughs> you can be happy with what you have. Yes. That is so much more meaningful. Even the icy hearted can get behind this movie. Um, so go watch it, and we hope you have a Merry Christmas. Before we end the last episode of our big Christmas bonanza. Our last episode of 20... 20- 19? 19, that's the one. Yeah. Oh. But So we've been watching a lot of Christmas movies, and specifically a lot of dog-based Christmas movies, because <laughs> there's thousands of there, them There's there. so many, guys. We're not even going to get through all of them this year. We're going to have to watch some next year. But there's this actress, um, Elisa Donovan, Eliza Donovan. Either way, she was in Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the show, the good one, the old one. Right. But when that show got shitty when she went to college, she has been in every dog movie we've watched. And they're all different franchises from different studios. But they're dog-based, and they happen to have her in it. It's so bizarre. She was in that 12 Christmas Wishes for My Dog, which was terrible. She was in... um, There was no dog. Yeah, the dog's hardly in it. And also, uh, A Golden Christmas. It's about golden retrievers, you'd think, because the cover has golden retrievers on it. The movie not really has one. But she's in that one, too. Yeah. She was in, like, the Buddies series with the talking dogs. Just weird. She's in all the dog who saved... I'm looking at her IMDb now. The dog who saved summer. The dog who saved Easter. The dog who saved the holidays. um, Spooky Buddies, which is dog-based. 12 personal switches for my dog. The dog who saved Halloween. Golden Christmas was a dog one. Dog who saved Christmas. Anyway, she just does dog movies. Is she, like, out there? 
what, why are you making all the dog movies? And you're not even always in scenes with dogs. So it's not like she loves dogs. Yeah, it's not like she's a dog trainer or something. Is she a dog trainer? Maybe. Actually, that would make sense. Because then they'd get her and the dog, and then the dog would be, like, really comfortable and familiar right. with her. Maybe they're a two-for-one deal. Either way, if anyone out there has any information why she's in all these dog movies, let us know. Yeah, you can email us full like pages of information on her life at I love this you should and the number two at gmail.com you can tweet us reasons why she's in all these movies at iltys and the number two where you can also find us on Instagram with the same handle and you can find us on Facebook where you can post and start discussions with other listeners is that a thing that happens? yeah oh cool at I love this, you should too dash podcast. Um, we really want to hear why this lady is in every single movie that we're trying to watch. And if you cry in It's a Wonderful Life. And if you cry in It's a Wonderful Life, or if you're a cold, dead, icy heart like mine. I never said dead. I just said <laughs> icy. Icy, icy heart like mine. So we will see you for our 2020 first pick of the year, which is my pick. And uh, have a nice holiday. You should say Merry Christmas like Jimmy Stewart would say. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas, movie house. I can't go that Merry far. Merry Christmas, you, uh, you old savings alone. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it either, but there we are. There we are. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Movie Hamster time. (laughs) Um, I did not know that.